Matthew Budman lives in Manhattan with his wife, uh, political theorist uh, Christina Beltran, and all the books they can squeeze into their apartment. And we are in their apartment, and I can, I can testify to the uh, veracity of this <laughs> description. You can see how few surfaces uh, do not have books on them. <laughs> yeah, we're actually in Greenwich Village, which, uh, which must be an exciting place to live. It is, it is. We, but it's tough in terms of books. We moved here from, uh, my, my wife is a professor, again, and we, uh, we were living in a giant faculty house at a college in uh, Pennsylvania, uh-huh. um, with a six-bedroom, three-story house that we basically just filled. And at the point at which she got a job at New York University, we knew we needed to downsize to a, a one- or two-bedroom place, yeah. which you know, necessitated getting rid of just thousands of books. It was something like 12,000 books at the time, and they, they could not all fit in here. And I had to decide, am I still going to be a person who you know, collects and buys and occasionally sells books, and decided that I really could not live without these. So, so what start... did you do with it? How many did you have to get rid of? Yeah, it's, it was a challenge. We have these, you know, these massive uh, yard sales, and I... I've been collecting autograph books for you know, for the last twenty years or so. So um, here's a separate section of uh, of autograph books. That, must, that um, hurts. Though. I've done that. It did. It, it did. hurts. Yeah. I. And then well, the other thing is that I set up a uh, an online uh, an online bookstore. I started selling online. Um, yeah, and through, then I, through. Uh, through uh, Abe. But just that it, at the time, certainly it was uh, it was the default uh, place to go. And yeah. uh, and I moved that store out to a storage unit in Brooklyn. So okay. those are books I don't, you know, I no longer see every day. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in a way, the I, I had no, because I had no choice but to get rid of a lot of the yeah, books. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't hurt as much as I thought. And yeah. whenever I've talked to, to people about, you know, deaccessioning books in volume, they say, "Oh my God, that must have been just incredibly painful." Especially since a lot of the books I, you know, I put up on the line, they're. They're books by favorite authors. I had inscribed to me when they came to New York, that kind of thing. But yeah. we simply had no choice. We had to move books out. You know, I had to, to kind of perform triage on everything. <laughs> what did you? What was the uh, your rationale behind uh, behind uh, what you kept, what you let go? That was the, the toughest thing to to decide. And uh, and if you look around, it's still very much a uh, a hodgepodge. But yeah, I, I tried yeah. to focus at least a a little bit. I mean, there are a handful of things I collect more than than anything else. I mean, since we are since we are now New Yorkers, it's vintage books on uh, on New York, which is it's almost an infinite number of books on New York. But yeah. Yeah. it's finite enough that I can collect that, and uh, and it's it's somewhat manageable. Right. And then a couple of other a couple of other focuses, uh, just different things. I'm thinking, well, maybe someday I'll write a uh, I'll write a book on this, and so you know, it's, it's collecting things on that subject. Like what? Uh, the white slavery panic of the early 20th century. There was a uh, there's a panic from 1907 to 1914 on the, the idea of forced prostitution. It was you know all of these all of these young women who left farms and went to Chicago to to start new lives and there was a panic that they were all being um, you know stepping off the train and men with mustaches were you know taking them to brothels and then their parents never heard from them again right um, and it was this massive nationwide panic for about seven years at which point it disappeared so it was like a, a, an urban myth 
it was mostly an urban myth. There certainly is a lot of uh, of truth to it. Yeah. Uh, at the time, if you um, you think of the, the book Eric Larson's book Devil in the White City, which was literally about a man who basically took young women stepping off the train and then murdered them. But for the most part, yeah, they just didn't write home. And then people at home panicked. Uh, and after seven years or so, which it, during which there were a, a tremendous number of books and, and pamphlets and ephemera posted about, about white slavery with these uh, just horrific and fascinating you know, staged photos and illustrations and all these great books. So these and, were all like a kind of a conspiracy theory? Somewhat, driven. Yeah, it seems like it. I mean, I'm interested in it. I'm interested in the hysteria aspect uh, yeah. more so than what does this have to say about, about prostitution in general or about sex trafficking, because certainly those things are you know, very real and sex trafficking is a much bigger problem today. Yeah. But I, I'm interested in why it started and what people thought about it then and why it ended. 1914, it just disappears. Like all of a sudden there are no more books there are no more newspaper articles, there's nothing. So I've been collecting these books for, for years and they pop up on eBay sometimes. And yeah. people say, I don't know what this is, but it looks insane. I mean, why are they talking about white slavery? What is white slavery? So I have this this whole collection of those books how, and how pamphlets. How big is that collection? I think in terms of uh, of shelf feet, I don't six feet or so of okay. uh, you know of, of books and, and pamphlets and magazine articles right. uh, and such. And uh, now I'm collecting you know posters and things as well. There are there are, connected with that. Yeah, there are. I mean, there are movies about these things. So hey, are there you know newspaper advertisements for those films somewhere that that kind of thing? There's. It's finite, so it feels like a good topic yes. or a subject for collecting. That, yeah, uh, yeah. But there's enough there that I'm always finding some new thing, and I can always decide, is this worth adding or not adding? How much am I willing to pay for this? Since almost no one seems to be actually collecting this, it's very hard to put prices on things. So that's yep. always the tough part with ephemera. You never know how much something is worth. Hey, here's a, something clipped from a magazine. I don't know. Is it a dollar? Is it a hundred dollars? But you know, no idea. That is the yeah. biggest problem. But that's something that I look at that collection and I think, well, there's never been a trade press book about just saying, hey, here's what happened a hundred years ago in this country, in Chicago and New York in particular, but elsewhere. There were books at the time? There were books at the time, but there was yeah. almost, there's nothing, there's never been a trade press book that stepped back and said, let's talk about Remember when there was a white slavery panic in yeah. this country? Okay. There, there are a couple of academic books, but um, but I just I've always wanted there to be a book that simply says, "Hey, here's what happened," and yeah. uh, that's a book that I could someday conceivably write, and it's yeah. already a hundred years old, so it's um, yeah. oh well, I, you know, the window is still open. So that's something I can keep telling myself as a rationalization for collecting sure. as well. That's, yeah. Well, it's research. Yeah. 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 It, yeah, it's valuable. It could it could come in handy. You could use it in the future. I, I really like how you framed it, though. In terms of advice for collectors, you've got a, a very well-defined period. Uh, you've got a subject that uh, probably isn't that popular. Not that many people are aware of it. So the prices aren't going to be astronomical. And it's... Uh, it's something you can more or less complete, or to the best of your knowledge, right? Right, right. You can complete, but there's, but again, you can always find yeah. something. There's never going to be a point when that's it. I have every single piece of, of information. I mean, there yeah. were, if you if you look through the the indices of these different books, there are there were commissions set up on white slavery in different cities across the country. So. 
I guess I could make a trip and go to some tiny town in Nevada where there was a city commission done in 1910. Right. Then they, they must have issued a report and it's in a library maybe somewhere in Nevada. But yeah, so if I really wanted to spend years on this, I could. And um, who knows, I'll keep an eye out and maybe that commission report will show up on eBay. What else uh, did you use as, as, a, as a rationale? <laughs> it's... It's it's really hard to say beyond beyond those handful of of focuses. It's uh, it's it's not exactly random, but it's it's close to random. It's keeping things that are that kind of catch my eye every time yeah. I, I see them. It's so well, this is yeah. I got rid of all these different books that were inscribed to me by favorite authors, but uh, but but this one feels special. Yeah, it's it's keeping things based on aesthetics and and. You, you and emotion to, too, right? and emotion, yeah. Like but I, do, I just do not do not want to let go of this. Right, right, exactly. And everyone has some of those. I mean, I one question that people often ask is, you know, what's you know, what's your favorite book here? What's yeah, your most yeah. valuable book? And I never really have an answer to those. I mean, value, I don't know. There are books I have up for sale, or books I don't have up for sale yet, and and however much I decided to put them up online for, I guess those are the most valuable. But uh, but it's hard for me to pick what's the you know, what's the most special you know, of yeah. any of them. It's just, it's, it's a lot of things that I've, that I've read, that I've loved. It's, uh, I remember there was a meme going around on social media, I think it was last year, people talking about, you know, name the, the five books or so that are, you know, the most significant to you, that, you know, influenced your, your thinking from growing up. And, and I had to, I couldn't narrow it down to five. I ended up with 20 or so. And, and mm. of those 20, I realized, well, these are 20 that I have, you know, first editions. I have first editions of all of these. Like over the years, I've, you know, I've, I've collected the best possible versions of each of these. And, uh, and a lot of them are signed and, and, and the ones that aren't, I have running searches for. So maybe someday something will show up on, you know, on Abe or Biblio or that, uh, you know, that, and I'll be able to, to improve things a little bit. But, but hard to pick other criteria. There's, there's very little here mm-hmm. looking around that I wouldn't get rid of if I needed to. I kind of have to have that attitude. It's, maybe it's a means of function of having just so many thousands of books but it's not as though these are children, and yeah. you know I have yeah. to get rid of them. This is the kind of thing I, I realize that booksellers and people who run antiquarian shops are, are almost always collectors themselves. Every time a book comes in, and you have to decide, do I keep this or do I sell it? And yeah. every time, and of course, the one the things that you buy are often books that catch your eye. They're the things that you found appealing in the first place. So that's a question you undergo me every day. It's uh, it's interesting. I have a kind of a love hate relationship with used antiquarian booksellers, huh. uh, in part because I see them as competitors to a <laughs> collector, because they're scouring the the thrift stores and places that I like to find treasures in. But on the other hand, you know they save you a lot of work and they're knowledgeable and. If you establish a good relationship with uh, one or two of them, as you've said in your book, it helps you immeasurably. Oh, absolutely! They're necessary. And one thing that I that I talk about in the book, there's a there's a point at which I talk about book scouts, and and you know I had years 
especially living in the uh, living in the suburbs. We don't have them much here in uh, in, in New York. Yeah. But library book sales, I would yeah. spend living in uh, when I was in New Jersey and in Pennsylvania, and before that in California. They there are library book sales everywhere, and those were yeah. amazing places to go. And, mm -hmm. and the idea is, you go and you you know, you're competing with all these other people. There. Well, you're competing with books booksellers, yeah. you know, they, and they're scouts because they're in there lining up. Uh, Right at the very beginning, they charge in. They take a lot of armfuls arm yeah. off the shelf before you even get to look at it. As I say, there's there love hate. There's love hate. Yeah, yeah. 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 That, so that's exactly that's exactly the thing. They're like resentful of these people, and that yeah. like, hey, you took that whole armful of books. Yeah. Like I was going to go through that, and now yeah. if if those books ever do show up online, I'm going to have to pay ten times as much exactly. for it because, just because you got there first. Yeah. What I suggest in the book is uh, it's kind of asking people, please don't become just a, a book scout. Because if you've been to any library book sale now, you you've seen these people with you know, with scanners. They oh, that pisses have, me off. They don't even look at the. They don't the care book about is. the books. Yeah, at all. They might as well be scanning things at a you know, supermarket. Groceries. Yes, that's exactly it. So yeah. they 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 truly don't care. They've got a little, they've got an earbud in that telling them what the price is, and they can make a decision in you know in a, a couple of seconds. And and they 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 are not book people no. in in any no. way. That said, I also suggest that uh, I mean not just that those those people are necessary to for the reason that, that you mentioned and that uh if I mean, those are people you're competing with at thrift shops and such and you're looking for treasures but you never know if you didn't happen to go buy that shop that week maybe the thrift store throws away that book mm. before the scout even gets to it and then it, then it's gone yeah but because the scout got there and now it's out in the world and now you do have a chance at it so but the the solution of course and you've hit on it earlier is okay find something to go after that the book scouts wouldn't go after right that way you know you're not looking for the same thing everyone else is exactly that's part mm. of it and and again the danger is that again the books the books vanish mm. uh, there's this great push right now and i'm thinking of like the the english store second shelf in particular this yes. the the great move to kind of resurface and make collectible books that have not traditionally been collected and, and second shelf focuses on books by women there right. and, and I talk in in my book about things you know domestic fiction there's this long period of fiction in the United States and in England from the I think around the 1850s or 1920s or so and mm -hmm. a lot of the best-selling books in America and England were by women they're not considered collectible for the most part. They're mm -hmm. you know they're popular books. They're not you know high literature, but they they're fascinating books. They're you know, they're, they're great novels. They often if you can find ones with dust jackets, they're amazing looking dust jackets. They're, yeah. And the fact that almost no one is looking for them means that you can focus on them. You could have the best possible collection of a particular author from a particular publisher. You pick you know, however however you want to narrow a focus. The good that something like Second Shelf is doing. It, in, in making those books collectible, you know, yeah, they're, they're adding value to yeah, and it means that those books will be saved because otherwise, yeah. what happens is those are books that yeah. you look in a stack and saying, "Well, no one's interested. I'm just going to pulp the book." Yeah, so they're yeah. actually rescuing them. Yeah, in fact, I plan to interview Heather ah. O'Donnell tomorrow. Oh, excellent! Uh, with uh, Honey and Honey and Wax, mm -hmm. yeah, mm -hmm. uh, and she's again doing the same sort of work. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I love what yeah. she and, and Rebecca Romney with their the book award they have for for young women collectors. Yeah. it is absolutely yeah. fascinating what people 
turn in every year. Like these are the you know these are the competitors. These are the finalists. Yeah. Just to see these are the different ways to collect. So I mean, this is something that you know the first uh, the whole first chapter of, of my book is on this. I mean, the first chapter of most books on book collecting talk about what to collect. If I you know, if I have any overall point that, I, that I'm, I'm trying to get across, it's that collecting is for everyone. It doesn't have to be just people collecting very traditional things. Uh, I mean, Yeah, and you don't have to be rich. You don't have to be rich. Yeah. But I mean, it's, you would not know that if you read book collecting books from, I don't know, the first, uh, I don't know, from say, again, 1850 to, to, to 1950, 1950, basically. Because yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is my second book on, on collecting. The first one I wrote 15 years ago. Okay. And, and for that one, I went back and I read every book I could find on book collecting. People have been you know, writing books on book collecting since they've been collecting books. And it's almost always the same advice. If you read all these different books, you would all end up with the same collection. The idea is that you know, you're going to, you will need to spend hundreds of thousands of dollars. Uh, you will, and you will end up with the best possible editions of, you know, Steinbeck and Faulkner and Tolkien. And, and yeah, so it's just so unoriginal, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, and that's one of the things I really enjoyed about the book, is how you sprinkle all sorts of quotes from, from bibliophiles and, and different uh, book, uh, book collecting books uh, over the years. But here you have Noah Fleischer and Lauren Zittel. Uh, their book is Collecting Children's book, Books. It, they write, if you don't love it, don't put money into it. That is the bottom line. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because it's, again, it's very easy to you know, to go into a, a rare bookshop, especially a high-end bookshop, you know, Bauman Rare Books, mm. say, and uh, which which is spectacular. But you could go in and say, "I have a, I want to spend ten thousand dollars on books." I come away with two books and spend fifteen minutes there, and you're done. And you have those are amazing books. Yeah, it's the equivalent of buying your know, old masters' paintings. Yeah, but and they'll probably they, keep their value. They probably will. I mean, yeah. if they, because that means that they're they're established. It's not. Uh, yeah, there's there's no risk involved, really. Yeah. But yeah, exactly. How unoriginal. What does this say about you? Besides the fact that you had ten thousand dollars. That's right, and you're following the crowd. You follow that up then with looks like it's Nicholas Basbane. Uh, you gotta quote Nicholas Basbane. So, or actually, no. This is you here. In a real sense, your book collection is you. So if it reflects what you love. No, exactly. It should it should say something about you, and that, you're right. Yeah. That, that quote does sound like me. You know, more than anything, and and this is what is is so great about seeing the let's say the Honey and Wax Prize uh, different collections or finalists yeah. is yeah. for every one of these different of these different collections, uh, some of which are you can see are worth you know someone spent a couple thousand dollars on them, and some might have spent fifty. In all of the cases, you know someone could walk into one of these collectors' apartments. And see that shelf and say, huh, that, that looks intriguing, but why do you have these books? Mm. And the collector would say, well, this is what's so interesting about these. Let, let me tell you what this, and the fact that I'm interested in these, this is, this is what it says about me. I have a story behind each one of these books. I have a story behind yeah. the collection. Here's why I decided to collect this. Mm. It should say something about you. Again, besides the fact that well, I had $10,000 to spend. I don't know, just, just again, looking around this apartment that I have all these vintage books on, on New York. That's kind of why we decided to, to move here and I decided to learn a lot more about the city and, and discover cool. there are all of these amazing books, especially these Victorian era 
you know, guides to New York, these big, thick books for the the very first time. They're able to take the railroads to New York, and yeah, uh, yeah. And, and so they're reporting back to their their friends, saying, "Well, let me tell you how the, the Bowery. It's really it's scary. You don't want to you don't want to go there, but let me tell you about it anyway." And that's and now we live you know two blocks from the Bowery, and that's uh, so that I suppose it, it says something about me. And I haven't read every word of the books, but I I know what's I know what's there. I know the the story overall. You must love the the Museum of New York, then. Yeah, that is that is a fun museum. Uh, and and again, here we are. Uh, the narrower your focus, the better the chance of having one of the best collections. Here's a tiny subset of like of my New York collection, which is I started trying to find books, just because uh, you know you you look around and see well what what do I already have? What what already speaks to me? What's already on my shelves? Do I already have a collection? And I yeah. realized within the New York books, I had several books that were books in, uh, from series, often often kids series, in which the authors had sent their characters to visit New York. Oh yeah! You think of all the different uh, Stratemeyer <laughs> books, and yes, books yeah. from you know early twentieth century, and mm. it's it's very often you know the whatever the the Bobsy twins you know go to New York. It, yeah. It's it's different different characters going to the city. Who's the one that went to the Plaza Hotel? Eloise was. Uh, it? Yeah, Eloise. Eloise goes to the the Plaza exactly. Yeah, yeah. Um, which for some reason I, I don't have on that shelf. No, there you go. I, oh, you've I know, got it. No, I, you've got I, it. I, I, yeah, yeah, I have a copy of the book. Yeah, I, 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 yeah I met the illustrator a, a couple of years ago at an event. But but I, but now I have all of these different books that are uh, that are you know characters going to New York. Well, I mm. doubt there's anybody else like who has that. That specific a collection, yes. so yeah. it's that kind of thing. Like I'm, I'm interested. Well, what is it that they saw in the city? What did people find interesting at the, you know, at the time? What is it about New York that they, uh, that they found interesting? So, so I love the idea of your collection saying something about you, and just the fact that you decided to collect that thing, and yeah. and simply that if someone comes into your apartment and and says, hey, what is that? And you have a story about it. Yeah, and that's and and what that says too is that your collection doesn't have to be you know a room in your house that's you know climate controlled with you know with barrister bookcases it can just be one shelf mm, it's mm. one thing but this mm. is but this is your collection and ideally it's a collection that can get better and better you can get you can upgrade you know any book that you have from well and you can learn more and more about the subject what i admire is the fact that okay you've got all this information now you've actually decided to move here and uh, and really understand it, you know. Right, right. I mean, um, I wish I could say that I moved, you know, just 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 to, for, just for the, the book collection, collection. <laughs> and, and not just because you know, my wife had a job at NYU. But yes, still, uh, still, <laughs> yeah. In fact, it reminds me of a book, a recent book by Robert Caro, the biographer of LBJ, yeah. who uh, wanting to understand Texans. They actually moved there and right. lived there for three years. Yeah, and in fact, it took that long for for the, the local folk to open up to him and give him all sorts of new insights. Right, right. No, I read the, the article about that. I yeah. it, was, it was fascinating. It really did. It really did take that long to. Yeah, before people say, "Oh well, oh well, oh that story." Yeah. Okay, well now yeah. I'll trust you with that story. Yeah. So it's true. If I've if I've been here, maybe maybe someone. Mary will say, "Okay, well, I've, I've been seeing you around for eight years. Let me—I have this collection of books that I've been meaning yeah. to sell to somebody. Let me sell it to you." Yeah, could happen. The title of the book is is book collecting now. So maybe you could just tell me this is this is a very good sort of uh, 
I say primer, other people say primer. Uh, <laughs> I have heard of both ways. Yeah, specific to today's internet world, uh, perhaps you could you could talk a bit about how that's changed things and maybe taken something away or added something. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And and I, and I say this as a an enthusiast rather than a rather than a professional. I mean, this is the the kind of thing where if you're a if you're a book dealer, especially someone who runs a bookstore, and you've been seeing trends over the years of people coming in and out, you'll have a very good sense of you know this is what's selling this month mm. versus a year ago. You know the overall trends to the to me how the internet is changing everything. It, it is still changing everything. I mean when I when I wrote my first book I mean, 15 years ago, it was it was already starting to change things. Now it has changed everything permanently. I mean the, and the single. The single biggest change is that you know, most hypermoderns are, uh, you know, of which there's nothing special, are simply not worth anything. And yeah. you know, 15 years ago, you could go into almost any shop, and there would be a row of, say, Tom Clancy or Stephen King first editions, and they would be 15, 20, 25 dollars, and uh, and they they would look nice. Now those books are worthless because there are millions of them literally billions and they're yeah, they're still yeah. out there so yeah. that's why you can go on you know Amazon and buy the books for a penny you can go on yeah. Abe and buy the books for a dollar mm-hmm. you can buy first editions of things things that seemed desirable Scarce, or yeah right yeah like you might never scarcity is de- def- the definition has changed right it? no it's yeah. exactly it exactly yeah. just there's there's perspective now and i mean the examples i that just come to mind i think of the you know, the biggest bestsellers of the you know of the last twenty years or so. We think of books like Bridges of Madison County or uh, you know, the Da Vinci Code, and they're books of, of no inherent literary value. But you'd say, well, they were they were, you know they became these massive sellers. Mm-hmm. So compared to those, you know, the first printings must be comparatively scarce. And it is true that uh, you know you could go through at a, you could go to library book sales and go through you know fifty copies of the Da Vinci Code and never come across a first printing, but there were two hundred thousand first printings of that, and right. you know they're they are not hard to find if you go online now. Yeah. So it's simply realizing that that book that you you thought was of some value that you you've been looking for uh, is really not of any value, except if it. Fits a you know fits a collection. So let's say you you uh, you had a collection of uh, you know these are the the biggest bestsellers that you want the biggest bestseller of every year, and then then you could look for those books, mm-hmm. and it turns out now it's an opportunity that that book is you can find that for a penny or a dollar, yes. ten dollars. Yes. It's, it fits in with this idea of uh, looking for something that other people don't value. Exactly, exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I gotta say, if someone, you know, comes in and says, wow, this is fascinating, why on earth do you have these copies of, you know, Bridges of Madison County, The Da Vinci Code, and you mm-hmm. say, well, I, yeah, I had this idea for, uh, and now I'm starting to second guess that, <laughs> that, that choice of collecting. The internet has changed things uh, in, in the sense both that, that books are worth less and that that becomes an opportunity if you're interested in books that are worth mm-hmm. less, yeah. that for which no one else is looking. Um, the idea of, of that demand more than anything else is what drives value feels like has become you know, much more a factor than it used to be. Books don't have price guides in the same way that baseball cards do. I mean, there, mm-hmm. there, there have been price guides. Certainly there, there used to be price guides. The last one, when the Aherns wrote a, I think the last book was like 2000 with a, yep. a comprehensive price guide. And, and those prices are way out of date because now, you know, now we know so much more. But even so, it's, you could have a book that seems scarce, 
you know, if no one is looking for it, then it's not worth anything. If, mm -hmm. I'm, if I'm putting up a book for sale online and there's literally no other copy there and I can tell myself, well, this must be of must be value. No one else has it up. It's the only copy in the world. Yeah, but no one wants it. No yeah. one's looking for yeah. it. If nothing yeah. changes uh, to make people look for it, then it will. If no one will ever want it, and it, I might as well have it up for you know for a penny or a dollar. So the, that's that's one thing. Uh, that's one thing that's changed is, is yeah. the availability. The, the the biggest thing that I feel has changed in just the last few years is the composition of who's actually collecting. And I keep I I heard this from people, and I've seen it when I've gone to book fairs. Yeah. That again, it used to be, uh, or you know, a book fair used to be a. a Entire room full of uh, full of older white guys who yep. uh, and uh, and maybe like us. like us and maybe there'd be some you know a few girlfriends mm -hmm. and that'd be it and now it's it's a, it's a lot of women and who bringing you know boyfriends it's and it's it's no longer all white it's just it's gotten it's gotten much more diverse and and for that you you got to credit things like uh, and partly things like you know honey and wax and second shelf but there's just um, there's a much more, a much broader diversity of what collecting is, of mm -hmm. who collectors are. In a way, that's what with with this book that I'm trying to to push the idea that anybody, anybody can be a collector. If you are a, I'm, I'm trying to turn readers into collectors. Yeah, that's I, what I'm doing with my podcast. As yeah, much as exactly. Anything. Hey, yeah. everybody should be a collector. If you yeah. go, if you're a, if you're a reader, it doesn't take much to turn in to become a collector mm -hmm. and look around and see you. You probably already have started a collection. Well, I think you put it something like uh, the moment you buy a book just for the book, as opposed to read it, reading it, then you become a collector. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And yeah. the and the, the room um, the the room you haven't seen in this little apartment is uh, in in the bedroom. We have shelves of reading copies, and those mm. are all the paperbacks. Yeah. Those are all the books that are. That's okay. Those those can be read. But most of the books in here, no, don't touch that. It's an inscribed first edition, and mm -hmm. there's, you know, inside is an envelope with clippings and such, and that that is not to be read. This is to be owned. Yeah. And seen, and the fact that we 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 know that what's inside it is interesting or you know invaluable is uh, uh, is is fascinating. It certainly adds value to the book. But uh, but if I really want to read it, I have a second copy. I think the other thing about the internet is you you know now. I in a way, if you if you want to get pull a collection together, you can do it in a couple of days if you've got the money, as you were referring to yes. earlier. It's like okay, and even if it's a really esoteric topic, you can find all sorts of stuff that was totally almost impossible to find thirty, forty years ago. That's absolutely true. And of course, if if the joy of it is just is just the hunt that takes away some of the fun that mm -hmm. you you discover you go through say a you know bibliography of a book in uh, in a book that you really like and you discover hey here's this really interesting book I, I didn't know anything about and I mean that that happens to me pretty regularly this is this is a, you know, a white slavery book I didn't know anything about let me do a search uh, for that title and I'll find you know three copies online and I'll just buy one and whereas you know what what used to happen was I would come across that and try to file it away in my mind and then maybe maybe someday I would run across one but probably not because it's there are only three copies available online I'm not likely to walk into a bookshop that happens to have that book no, on that shelf and, and a lot of the booksellers of course don't have open shops anymore well it's it's been the same really it has been a, a double-edged sword for booksellers because it's helped keep the doors open, but I suppose the the competition has put people out of business as well. 
Yeah, the idea of all these bookstores around the world, and it, and it actually came out of uh, Victoria in Canada, a bookstore right, right. there. But what a neat idea. Of course, no one had had it. Well, the, the technology wasn't there, but the idea right. was, yeah, just put your inventory online with everyone else's. What a what a trove of it's amazing for for a lot of reasons it's mm. it does make it it makes it a lot more challenging if you have a you know if you have a shop that is online and you're trying to compete with everybody it's mm. it's almost impossible to compete with everyone and of course what what a lot of us going into those shops are looking for are not just bargains and i want something that I that's a big part me. of it, though. Yeah, it really I think is. you want to get a really good deal, and yeah. that's the thing that the internet has undermined. You're not able to use your own intelligence. You call it a is an intelligence gap, it's a grind, and, um, an ignorance gap. Ignorance gap. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Go back to the, the negative angle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, but, it should be knowledge gap. But <laughs> the uh, you know the fact that you've got a bunch of knowledge in your head, you can go in and spot. The, the the titles that are a really good deal that you can get a bargain off. That's exactly it. so difficult now because everyone's an expert on prices alone. Right. Not right. necessarily on the content or the, 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 the different aspects of that particular book. Yeah, it's you're absolutely right. I mean, if you go into a shop now, it's an unfamiliar shop, but you walk in and and you walk past the you know the proprietor who's there, you know, cataloging books on Abe. Well, I'm probably not going to find anything in here that's an amazing bargain yeah. because you know she has looked at she's already looked up that book. Yeah. So if it's you know if it's really valuable, then uh, you know it's it will be priced accordingly. And yeah, the this is what's amazing about going to you know good thrift shops or, yeah. or especially library book sales for me is you know the ignorance gap, the idea that you want to know more than the seller, and that's that's what's kind of amazing. So yeah. the you know the the fun shops I suppose are the ones that are studiously not checking prices. We are not online. We are not selling on the internet and uh, you know, maybe we don't even take credit cards. There there are places that don't take credit cards. So if then I I go in and maybe I actually will find something yeah. that's which I know more. Then I'll I'll look through books. Okay, look this is autographed and they missed it. You know, it's it's certainly the internet has changed. It continues to change everything, uh, you know, in these different ways. But we're learning the different ways in which it's changed things. What else uh, in the book is different from any other collecting book? <laughs> One thing that that I really wanted as a as a, to have as a section that I did not find in other books was about selling, not just selling to make money, because mm. certainly there. There have always been books about here's how to make money by selling books, uh, or by just by selling things in general. When I mean again, the, for the my first book on on collecting, and there were a ton of books about uh, here's how to sell, here's how to make money on eBay, yeah. for instance. Here's, yeah. you know, these these newfangled sites. So here, here's how to make money selling on them. Sell books on Amazon or to sell books on eBay. But I wanted to talk about how to how to deaccession books. To you know, first of all, make uh, make room for new books, and uh, and to make money to afford new books. The idea that I, I, while I counsel people to you know, please don't get into this just for the money because it's no fun, and you don't want to be one of those no. guys with a you know, with a scanner. You don't want to become a, a book scout. No. On the other hand, in a if you're at a library book sale and you see a book that's you know they're selling for a dollar, and hey, I think this is a twenty five dollar book. Uh, yeah, buy it and sell it, and that way you can afford other books. It's what's the best way to sell it, though? 
the easiest way because that's the thing yeah. for me. I've got a ton of books. I do have to get rid of uh, many of them. The idea <laughs> of putting them all up on Abe or spending the money yeah. uh, or Amazon or eBay or wherever it is, that, that that's daunting. So for what I have done in the past is I've just taken a ton of them into a bookseller yes. who's who I uh, have been was told was was a good guy who you could trust who would give you a reasonable amount of mm -hmm, money for mm -hmm. your books. Uh, what what's your advice? Well, of course, that's the that's the easiest way. I mean, the easiest yeah. way is to do that. If, yeah. if you're trying to to maximize profit, like I I have enough books that I'm selling, so it's worth it for me to sell on Abe. Okay. Uh, and and I really enjoy the process of of cataloging. I suppose it's it's not the least bit time efficient for me at all. It's like yeah. I will get you know I'll get a book in the mail and it's fun to it was fun to buy it when I when I ran across the listing on eBay. It's yeah. fun to open the package and I look through it and then okay now I'm going to take photos of it. Yeah. And now it's, I'm going to I'm going to put on a movie and I might spend the next forty minutes you know googling like well, let me see who it's inscribed. Who is this person to whom it's inscribed? Let me yeah. see if I can make a narrative out of this. Right. And in the end, I'm going to sell the book for $18. There's no way that it's worth <laughs> yeah, it. Right. You know? But it's, I, right. I enjoy handling the books. Yeah. I enjoy kind of coming up with those stories. So Which I, is really what yeah. book selling is all about, is telling the best story about that book and yeah. convincing the, the purchaser that this is a, this is a, a worthwhile book to buy absolutely absolutely that just you're kind of showing this is this is what's more yeah. this is what's more valuable and again yeah. going back to the idea that you know someone coming into you know into your apartment and saying what is this book and and you have a story about it this is yeah. why i bought it this is this is this is, look it's inscribed and this is this is the story of the inscription before uh you know, i mentioned uh second shelf in london again um they before they opened, they actually bought uh, they bought a book from me. This uh, a signed book by Judy Bloom, um, okay. that had been up on I had up on my Abe store, and I probably had it up for a couple of years, and you know, yeah. no one had bought it. Yeah, but they bought it. I have, of course since it's they're a shop, presumably they turn around and they're selling it for much more. Right. And the thing is, it's it's worth more buying it there. Like it, to me, it it actually is. It makes sense. I mean, I'm I'm just some anonymous seller on online. They've but earned they've, the they've, higher ticket, yeah, but they they're they have it almost as part of a collection. Here yeah. are all books, you know, it's novels by women. Here's a, yeah. a signed book. It, it's 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 an uncommon book signed. So if they're selling it for two or three times as much, that's that's fine. Whoever buys it has a story about it, and yeah. that's so they have by simply selling it from that shop. I feel they actually have increased the value, not just the perception of value, but it's it actually is value to them. Yeah. So the you asked about what what is different about this book. Yes, I tried to to come up with here are strategies to deaccession books because I assume that if you're buying books, you will be trying to get you will have to get rid of books. You need a process to get rid of books, and that's something that I just never saw in any other book on collecting. And uh, and it is it is a question if if you want to do something in between. You know, just just filling up your you know, your car and taking them to you know a bookshop you like, or taking the time to you know I'm going to take forty minutes and sell something for eighteen dollars online. Who someone may never buy, by the way. That yeah. uh, that the book could sit there on my shelf, uh, <laughs> my storage unit for uh, you know for five years. It, yeah, it, it, it's every every book that's on that shelf that hasn't sold for five years. It, 
that's the story behind each one of those. Yes. Uh, but there are there are different things. You can sell it on eBay. You can sell it on uh, on Amazon. Though I don't I don't like Amazon as a place for even though they own Abe. Even though they own Abe, but but they yeah. kept it as separate as possible to the to the detriment of Abe sellers. Um, yeah. In my opinion, it's like we we don't get any of the benefits um, from the incredible reach that Amazon has. Yes. So it doesn't feel like an Amazon property. Um, but you like you do have these other these other options, and, okay. and in the book I talk about those. But it's more just the the idea that it's okay to buy things, knowing that you might not keep them forever. That every time you know in in your collection, if you're working toward a collection, that's you know, these are the best possible copies of a book. You know, let's say you're collecting just a series out of the you know Nancy Drew books. So here's yep. here's my collection of Nancy Drew books. And what you want, ideally, is you want the you know, first editions, you want first editions in dust jackets. But there's no way you can start out with that, So unless you bought them all at once, and that's no fun. So what you're going to do is end up spending years doing different searches for each book. And you're going, to, well, this, so this is a placeholder. This is the best possible yeah. copy I have right now. But if I find a first edition, I will replace that. If I find then a copy of a first edition with a dust jacket, I will replace that. Right. But now I have an, you know, older copies. Now I have a first edition with no dust jacket. That's just extra. So what do I do with it? And I did not find older books on book collecting talking about that at all. Now, what do you do with that older book? So that's that's why the the section on here's how to deaccession books and just the to get in the mindset of deaccessioning books that it's okay to have some churn, you know, if you as long as you're working toward that goal. Yeah. So your advice then again is uh, is is what? <laughs> It, it it depends on it depends on your circumstances. I mean, the again, and especially if you don't have you know, an infinite amount of time, you know, sitting in front of the, the TV to, to go yeah. through books, yeah, um, and you don't need to maximize, you know, every every possible dollar. Then yeah, the easiest thing is to take things to to bookshops, um, yeah, and then to and then to let them make the decisions and. You know, of course, they're they're looking for an, an ignorance gap in the sense that they're hoping you bring books in and they can say, "I'll give you five dollars for this one," and then they'll turn it around and sell it for sixty. But well, the, yeah. even if there is no ignorance gap, you still have to get rid of them. So it's like they make yes. you know they're getting a good. I knew he was getting some really decent books, right? Uh, right. And he was going to make a, but he has to put them up online. He has to wait a year, two years, three years before it'll sell. Exactly, so, exactly. Uh, you know, and yeah. now it's his problem. Yes, <laughs> yes. Whereas you know, again, I if I spend forty minutes and I put the book up at eighteen dollars, you know, yeah. I spent the, I put in the time, and hey, there's no ignorance gap. On the other hand, it might not sell, and then <laughs> now I'm just, I'm stuck with this book that yeah. I you know, invested time and money, and there there are downsides to uh, downsides to everything. Um, yeah. And the, the one other thing with this with this book is. It's something of an introduction, not just to this is, this is what collecting is. Here's how to start a collection. Here's here's kind of terminology on what uh, you know the different parts of a book. Here's here's where to buy. Here's where to sell. There's also something of a history of collecting in there. And of course, it's all it's all brief. And one reason I have quotes all the way through it is because it's it's to send people out to look at other things. There's a section in back that's a you know a glossary of here are different books you should look at if you're interested on these different topics and mm -hmm. uh, I find mm -hmm. a lot of them fascinating so there's something of a history of publishing yes I'm just looking at that right now yeah, yeah. which I you mm. know, which I really I, I find fascinating I spent I spent years as a as a, a 
a magazine editor and a book reviewer and, and working with with different publishers. So I, I felt somewhat familiar with kind of the world of publishing, but you can go back and just, just in the United States hear all these different names. Mm-hmm. What do these names mean? What was Well even though these change? names are just names these days, they're yeah. they're keeping them in the in right. circulation in the language, but well, I mean, sure, they've got their own aesthetic, and made, but the lines between the, these companies aren't anywhere near as... No, not at all. Uh, not at all. You're right. This, the imprints are just, they are just names, but you yeah. realize that there, there actually was a Harper, there was yes. a Collins, there was a Knopf, there was a Doubleday. There, actually, these were people who had visions of, this is, these are the kinds of books I think should be published, I'm going yeah. to start a publishing house. And these were really interesting people in many cases. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I collect publishers' histories, so. Oh. So it's, uh, it's a, a passion of mine. See, yeah. I remember going through, there's this, uh, there's this wonderful book by, by, which I'm sure you read, John Tebbel's um, book, which is a single volume history of publishing, and I just, I found that absolutely fascinating. Mm-hmm. But there's also this larger four-volume history that he wrote, which is thousands of pages, but it was in the universe. It was in the college library where we where we lived okay. um, in, in Pennsylvania, mm. and I read the whole thing. Well, I just thought it was fascinating. Yeah. I, don't, you know, I, don't, I don't have a great recall of what was in the no. thousands of pages. Unfortunately, but, uh, no. But I mean, just the, the the different decisions that were made is is fascinating. So I I think those are the kinds of things if you're if you're collecting, uh, I. I love the idea of people learning more about you know, the different topics, the different authors. You learn kind of what to look for, and it means mm-hmm. that if you are collecting uh, science fiction from the 1970s and you go to a library book sale, and after a while you can just glance over a row of books and just know, oh, okay, those are all book club editions, but there are a couple of those I'm looking for. They're from this publisher. Oh, okay, th- those I can ignore, uh, but, but, but these are really prized. And you know, this one particular publisher had these, these really interesting books, and you, you don't actually know that until you've spent time researching. And then, yeah. and then like the publishers matter at some point, and you learn how they fit together. Yeah. Uh, so it's not simply, this is an author, you know, she published these different books. I'm going to get the best possible copies of those books. It's you can you can collect in all these different ways and, and you end up learning about publishers from collecting whatever your focus ends up being. Just uh, finally, uh, we, we talk about sort of deaccessioning. Uh, I wonder how prevalent it is for libraries these days to purchase or give tax credits to, to people who have collections that they would like to donate is it is it like two percent of the, uh, the the total that actually approach <laughs> libraries that they accept or i guess it would depend upon if the collectors put together a package that as you say tells a story about the collection right i certainly don't have numbers that's that's the you know the dream of any of any collector who needs to get rid of a collection for yeah. for whatever reason is you have to keep it all together. It yeah. must be you know a coherent collection, which is often not what libraries want, right? They no, they got we've... they got most of them. They, exactly, they want to cherry pick. Right, right. You know, so unless you're you're Philip Roth, and here's you know here's the collection of you know these are the books that influenced my work. That's right. Yeah, but yeah, and they're most all of signed them, by the yeah. Right, yeah. exactly. All inscribed to Philip Roth, that kind of thing, and, <laughs> yeah. and going straight to the rare book collection. But yeah, most of the time it's you know here's you know two thousand books. 
and they're just my books, and but I want them all kept together. And if I were a library, I wouldn't know what to do with those. Yeah, that's yeah. I'm not really talking about that. I'm talking about yeah. your New York collection. Oh, that yeah. For yeah, for, e- for example, right, right. Hmm. How could you convince a library to take that? I know. Did, did my wife put you up to this? So you could try to clear space by uh, selling <laughs> selling no, the New York. No, I books. did. Uh, I did <laughs> bump into her at the entrance, uh, yes, so, but uh, she didn't tell me that. <laughs> Please uh, tell him. Plant this idea. <laughs> we need more space. Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't know if I have a uh, an answer to that at all. I mean, what are, are you going <clears> to <throat> put together a catalog, for example, ever? <laughs> that is that is honestly never crossed my mind. I don't know what happens to all these at the point at which we we ever have to you know to leave. We we, we don't have kids, so no one is going to get uh, to get stuck with having to deal with these. Yeah. But um, or, or no child will. Somebody will. Yeah. But I don't I don't know who that will be. <laughs> yeah, I don't I, I don't know. The thing about the yeah the New York books is like, none of them is so rare by itself that this is yeah. this is prized. You know, nothing is worth more than probably a couple thousand dollars. I don't even think it's all that coherent as a collection. There are thousands of books published on New York, and uh, there are new books, multiple books every year. I mean, I think it's far more than any uh, than any American city, and uh, probably more than any city. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's it's people have been writing about New York forever. My New York books are largely based on it's based on aesthetics. It's but what about the deaccessioning question? What about that? What are you going to do with them? If I were trying to do, get rid of them yeah. all at once, yeah, I've got, I've, I've got no answer to that at all. I really don't. I, I don't know even what, which platform I would try to, to sell them on. I mean, it's no good selling them on something like, you know, Abe. Not as a collection. No, no, certainly not, not as a collection. And, and it would be, it's daunting to think of, you know, breaking it up and trying to sell them one at a time. Yeah, I think uh, at, at, at the point at which I have to... to I have to get rid of the, you know, of all of those books. Uh, at that point, I'm, I'm giving up, and yeah, I'm taking them to a bookstore and just assuming that, okay. oh well, you know, I will, I will, you know, lose money on all these. But I, you know, I wasn't in this for the money in the first place. I right. just, I love looking at the books, and I, that's that's the thing. It's getting to, and that's the point of having them, right? Is not that oh, I'm, I'm keeping these, you know, for the next for future generations, or it's. In this particular case, it's not even though this is a coherent collection. It tells a story, for the most part. It's simply these are books that uh, that say something about you know what I find interesting and where we live, and they're books that I just like seeing. And that's you know ultimately that's uh, that's what your collection is, right? This is yeah. This is what I want to surround myself with. That's why we love books in the first place, as opposed to collecting oh beer cans or stamps. I mean, these are. We, we love the idea of books, mm-hmm. so that's that's why we live in the little apartment that's full of books. In a small apartment, it would be a lot uh, a lot easier to collect stamps. Yeah. Let's say it's something that took up a lot less space. Uh, books take up more space than than anything if you have a lot of them, and uh, they're heavier than I guess it could be LPs. Yeah, but um, but yeah, but there there's something special about books. Any other. Uh thoughts, closing thoughts about the book, why you wrote it, uh, what you'd like it to do? So I can, I can tell you why I wrote, uh, why I wrote my, uh, the first book on collecting, mm. which was that I had been, I'd been accumulating books for, you know, for many years, and I always thought there should be a book about collecting aimed at novices, because mm. none of them seemed to be aimed at novices. They were all they were all aimed at 
again, that guy who was going to spend a quarter of a million dollars for, for books for his, his climate-controlled room in his library. And I wanted there to be a book for a collector like me, who was just um, you know, a bibliophile. I, mean, mm-hmm. I love being around books. I don't really know where to start. What do, how do I turn this, this accumulation of books into a collection? Mm-hmm. And there was just, there was, at the time, was in the, you know, the early 2000s, there was just, there was nothing. And at the time, I was, uh, I was, I was copy editing book manuscripts for for Crown Books, uh, freelance, and a lot of their books were were terrible, mm-hmm. um, honestly. And uh, and one of the editors, uh, you know, took me out to lunch to apologize, and he said, oh, a lot of these books I know that I know they're terrible books. Uh, are there any books you, you you the kinds of books you think we should be doing that we're not?" And I said, "You know what I've always." thought we should have is a, a book on book collecting. He said, well, do you want to write one? I know uh, I know the editor to whom to pitch this. And I wrote a proposal and gave it to him and and woman called that afternoon and said, we have a new series starting on collecting in general. How would you like to write the entry on books? Mm-hmm. So that's how I wrote that one. And it went out of, uh, it was for, you know, for a Random House affiliate and they, or an imprint, and they, they took it out of print after about four years and then about five years ago, I got a pitch to write a new book because a guy said, well, there's no book on, since your book went out of print, there's no book on the market that is aimed at novice collectors. Yeah. Uh, once again, they're, they're all aimed at you know, pros or people who want to be pros or very often they're by, off, like written by bookstore owners, mm-hmm. people who've spent their lives around rare books but they think of them in terms of you know dollars and cents, and you know the idea is we will all work up to a Shakespeare first folio, uh, and so he this guy commissioned this book and the, this this one here we're talking the, about the new one yeah now this is Chatwin books out of it Seattle ends, yeah it ended up being published by Chatwin <laughs> the one thing that that Chatwin brought to the book is the is the cover which was uh, which yeah. was my concept but they they took the photo and I, I do think it's a, a very attractive photo. Mm-hmm. Unlike my, my wife and all of our academic friends, I'm not up for tenure. I don't need to... I don't no. need to... to whatever, I don't you don't need, perish if you don't publish. Exactly. Yeah. So, I, so this, is, this is for fun. I wanted yeah. to see the book published. For sure. I want your know, people who... Yeah. Know, I, I, want, I, I want people to know about it, but I'm not going to... I'm not going to do a, you know, a speaking tour to, no. to sell it. Um, You're doing podcasts instead. I'm doing podcasts. My there God, how easy! I mean, people feel are coming to my apartment to do podcasts, which is which is amazing. <laughs> it's insane. It is. It is. <laughs> yeah, because I'm, I mean, you can see, I can I can talk you know for hours about books. I'm, yeah, I'm very much very much an enthusiast. Well, me too, and uh, thank you for uh, for talking for this past hour with me about uh, about book collecting. And the name of the book is Book Collecting Now, The Value of Print in a Digital Age. The author is Matthew Budman. Thanks again. Thank you, Nigel. This has been great.